And now, it's first and goal with your host, Big Bear and the Curtain Guy. Welcome back, everybody, to another jam-packed episode of First and Goal. I'm the Curtain Guy, Cole Shooty. I'm Big Bear T. Tyler Bansky. And we have brought back the all-star crew, Bossman Jake, Showtime Steve, and the greatest marketer alive, Sam Armstrong. They're here to help us discuss the best national champions of the last 12 years. Gentlemen, glad to have you back. Let's dive right in. We're starting off with the consensus number one, the 2019 LSU Tigers. Um, this one was pretty obvious. Everyone had it either first or second in their lineup. So I really want to turn it to Steve because you actually put, you were one of the few people who put them second. And I want to know what you felt, uh, puts them behind your first place choice. Yeah, Cole. I mean, obviously, you know, 2019 LSU, that's, that's a really solid team. I mean, that, that offense, especially stacked top to bottom, you know, you'd start with, with Burrow at quarterback and then, you know, Jefferson out wide Moss at tight end. Um, just a really talented team overall. I know I'm forgetting some guys, Clyde Edwards or Lair. I'm sure you guys will get into more detail. Um, but as far as number one, my number one, I actually had the 2020 uh, Alabama team um, as my number one choice. Um, if you look at kind of the, the advanced numbers and the metrics, both teams uh, right up there with the elite of the elite. Um, I just felt like Alabama was a little bit better um, slightly higher scoring average um, defense was a little bit better, um, higher strength of schedule. Um, and then the other, one of the other things I took into consideration too, was if those two teams were to play um, sort of in a, a hypothetical matchup, um, 2020 Alabama is going to have uh, Nick Saban as their head coach, whereas 2019 is it's going to LSU is going to have coach O. Um, and so, you know, if we're splitting hairs here, you know, we have two elite of the elite teams, um, I think coaching does play a factor. So I went with uh, 2020 Alabama as my number one choice. I, I mean, I can, I can definitely see where you're coming from. We obviously talked about the, the coaching matchup and that favors the tide pretty heavily. I mean, just taking a look at their general scores, they were pretty dominant throughout their season. Uh, the same can be said for, for Alabama, obviously both went undefeated, dominated uh, in the, in the playoffs and, and especially in, the national championship game. Um, but I really do think that the, the defense, uh, the defensive side of the ball that you're referring to, I think that really is what would separate those teams in the end, both obviously extremely explosive offenses, both have Heisman winners. Um, but Alabama just seemed to have a few more playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And I, I just think, you know, Alabama's history on the defensive side of the ball, I just, I just trusted that a little bit more uh, to kind of show up in some of those bigger games. If you go back to, you know, LSU's uh, schedule in 2019, they did have a couple close games, not many. They were pretty dominant, but they did have that close game um, with Texas to kind of start the season. That was a 45-38 game. Um, and then they also had a close game with Auburn. Um, that was only a three-point game as well. So I think, you know, he's kind of going historically and then looking at the rosters defensively. I know LSU had some guys like Del Pitt um, and whatnot and Jacob Phillips on defense, but I think Alabama just had a little bit more talent there um, if those two were to match up. Moving on to number two, obviously Steve had them number one. Most of us had them uh, two or three. Was that 2020 Alabama squad? However, we do have an outlier here, Jake, you had the Crimson Tide ranked seven. What, what are you thinking here? Yeah. Um, I was at that game and I'm still mad about it. So sorry, <laughs> your rankings are dictated on the fact that I was at that game and I wasn't very happy about it. That's, I mean, to be honest, it has literally nothing to do with the on-field score. It has nothing to do. I put them below Ohio state because I wanted Ohio state to be higher. My rankings make no rationale whatsoever. And I'm more than happy to put these out here for people to criticize it. I got to respect the honesty. I mean, I mean, Devonta Smith was nasty. I mean, Jalen Waddle, they had a ridiculous offense. There's no denying that Najee Harris. I still don't really believe Mac Jones is 
in the top half of the quarterbacks that won national title in the last 10 years. Um, just because I think the, there were plenty of other good ones when you have guys like uh, Deshaun Watson, Joe Burrow, and Trevor Lawrence. I mean, there's guys like Stetson Bennett in there too and Jake Coker, but um, he's clearly better than those guys. You know, I think the offense was nasty. I think their defense, you know, it was good. It wasn't the Alabama defense we were all used to, um, but it was honestly just because I was at the game and I'm still mad about it. I would put a decent size of money on the fact that anyone in this discussion right now could beat tough Borland in a wheel route. So that's a pretty high expectation of me. Really? What you're assuming that I've actually ran in the last year. Didn't tough run like a five flat in the 40. Yeah, he ran. I don't run. (laughs) You're getting a brief, a brief jog out of me. (laughs) (laughs) Moving down the list to number three. We have the 2018 Clemson Tigers. This was obviously Trevor Lawrence's freshman year. Jake, you just referenced being one of the better quarterbacks that we've seen out of a national championship team. And another one that looking at their schedule really did dominate from start to finish. When you look at their scores, it's 48 to seven, 63 to three, 59 to 10. Uh, they had a couple of close games against Texas A&M at Texas A&M. Um, and then they had a close one with Syracuse, which for whatever reason there in, in the mid 2010s, Clemson always struggled with Syracuse. I want to toss it to big bear. You had the 2018 Clemson team ranked lower than anyone at seventh. What was it about the tigers that didn't impress you? Oh, geez, where to put that one? I'm just not really big on the Clemson program, honestly. Um, You look at this list of teams, there's a whole lot of Alabama on it. And I just, I had a longer list of teams that I could put in front of them. You know, Clemson had a couple of good years. They've been in, what, two, three college football playoffs at this point. I just, I had a longer list of teams I could put in front of them, honestly. Yeah, I'll jump in real quick. I mean, just looking at how dominant this Clemson team was down the stretch. I mean, they they won their two college football playoff games by a combined score of 74 to 19 with one of those coming against the said Alabama uh, in the national championship. And for me, with, the, with what it was with this Clemson team, why I had them uh, so high up at third is that that defensive line um, with Farrell and Wilkins and Lawrence. I mean, they just, they just wrecked Alabama's whole game plan. I mean, that's pretty much the whole season, but they showed they could do it against an elite level team. And so I think, you know, Lawrence was obviously very good. They had weapons like Higgins and Rogers on the outside, Justin Ross, but for them, I think this is kind of where they really, this Clemson program really peaked was this 2018 team with that that defensive front they had. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I specifically remember that group of defensive linemen all coming back for the sole purpose to win a national championship. And uh, we, we were introduced to them, the season before they really, you know, came into the spotlight, but um, yeah, 2018, they anchored themselves as one of the best defensive line units. I think we've seen in the past two decades, let alone the past 12 years going to number four, our most recent college football playoff national champion, the Georgia Bulldogs. Jake, I'm going back to you. You had the dogs ranked eighth the lowest out of anyone in this group again. Is this a personal vendetta? Are we oh, yeah. still still going after Stetson Bennett? A hundred percent. He's a mailman. I'm sorry. He, he He's a wa- former walk-on. He's a mailman. I really don't buy Stetson Bennett as a quarterback, even this year. I don't care if he's coming back. I don't buy him as a starting quarterback. I have Georgia Bulldogs in my mentions, and I do not really care. I <laughs> He is just a bad quarterback. Yeah, he got better as the season went on. It's fine. But when you talk about like national champions, like over the last, you know, 50 years basically, and look at who the best ones are, usually they had an incredibly dominant quarterback. Georgia had a great defense. They were absurd. You know, I forget what what their stats were about how many points per game they were allowing. It was some absurd amount. Um, You know, they had guys that, all over that defense that went in the first round, they were like five guys that went in the first round and Nicobe Dean was not one of them. So obviously there was talent on that team. 
But the guy that was handling the ball the most out of any of them is a guy who's not even going to play on Sundays. <laughs> Stetson Bennett will never be an NFL quarterback. He might be a journeyman backup, but he's never going to be a starter. I'll take Chase Daniels' career over Stetson Bennett's career in the NFL. And Chase Daniels has been there 12 years and thrown 3,000 yards. I mean, he came with facts, people. You, you have to appreciate it. I think looking at these these rankings and these teams, it's it's easy to like a lot of my rankings get into this NFL, how they turn out, or not necessarily uh, what they the prediction of how they're going to turn out. Um, with Stetson Bennett, it, the kid played the kid played the year to win over twenty eight hundred yards, twenty nine TDs just efficient on the passing level. I mean, really brought an average ish offense is what we'll call it to the national championship level. And I think that was, I had them at three um, ahead of 2018 Clemson because of the defense, of course, but it was, it was the, the offense catching up to what their, the bar that their defense was, was setting all season this was the best Georgia defense in the last 20 years, bar none. And because they've had great players and they've had great running backs and their running back continued to carry them on a year and year on a day-to-day basis. So they didn't have George Pickens until the SEC championship game. This defense was the best one of their last 20 years and probably one of the top 10 best of the last two decades, realistically. Uh, so they've had way better quarterbacks. Georgia alone, Jake Fromm was a better quarterback. Matt Stafford is a better quarterback. Stetson Bennett is garbage. I don't care. Stetson Bennett's numbers last year were right on par or better than Jake Fromm's best season out of his three. I will take Jake Fromm as a quarterback over Stetson Bennett as a quarterback. That's fair. I, I feel like if Stetson is- Bennett entered the transfer portal today, how many schools would go after him? This is a legitimate question. How many schools, how many power five schools would say that we want Stetson Bennett as our starting quarterback? Maybe 10 to 15. I mean, there's a handful now, of programs I could tell you that aren't, aren't even going to concern themselves. I mean, bowl eligible teams last year. How many, how many schools are going to look at Stetson Bennett compared to how many would have looked at Jake Fromm? Jake Fromm is far and way higher. Stetson Bennett last year, 29 touchdowns, seven interceptions, 176 passer rating, 10 yards at attempt. Like, at what point is this Georgia's offense issue and not a Stetson Bennett issue? Because Fromm's numbers were not any better. And Bennett's the one that got them to the national championship and won the game. Oh, it's definitely a quarter. It's definitely a system. It's definitely how they operate. So, like, if, if, ben, if, if Stetson Bennett got to play in a different system, like, would he look better? I feel like, I don't know. He'd be worse. Okay. I think I honestly I think it is. I think the system helps him because it relies heavily on the run game and it relies heavily on their tight ends. Brock Bowers is obviously one of the best tight ends in the country. They have Eric Gilbert who they didn't even use because he was off the team, and then George Pickens was freak of nature. Um, and then Jermaine Burton didn't even want to be there. He transferred to Alabama. There arguably it was gonna be a number one wide receiver. Side goes, Nope, I'm good. Don't even want to be here. Don't like this system. I'm gonna go, oh, play for Alabama. It's, I think Jake Fromm was a better quarterback. He was just the fault of being in a crappy system. Well, and, and we've now seen what Kirby Smart has been able to do with loading up on talent. I mean, that was an extremely talented offensive line. Uh, they have a fantastic stable of running backs, like you mentioned, and, you know, uh, amazing athletes out wide. So if you're expecting him to look like CJ Stroud or Bryce Young. Yeah, I think you're going to be disappointed. But like Steve said, he took advantage of what was in front of him and what was next to him, and he got it done. I I do think it's interesting, too. And I remember we talked about this after Georgia won the national championship game, but I'm not sure that you're going to see a team like this win for a while. Uh, The three national champions leading up to this one. Clemson scored 44 points. LSU scored 42 points. Alabama scored 52 points. And so that's kind of the bar, right, that we've talked about. You have to have elite-level quarterback play. You have to be able to score 42 points at the bare minimum to win a national championship. 
And now all of a sudden Georgia came in and wrecked that entire game plan with playing fantastic defense uh, and above average offense and took home the title. Adding some stats to that, the 2018, 2019, 2020, all over 44 points per game, all over 527 yards per game. Or sorry, we'll just say 500. And allowing over 300 per game. Georgia comes in averaging 38 points per game, 443 yards per game, 268 yards allowed per game. I mean, what do you, what do you guys think? Do you guys think that we see something like that in the next 10 years? Or do you think this is an outlier? I definitely think it's an anomaly with the way the game is moving to more of an offensive, pass-heavy, high-scoring system, the way the game is played. I think it's unlikely to see this consistently. I think it'll ha- I think it could happen again. There's no reason why it couldn't. You saw Georgia load up one defensive talent. Usually another team to pretty much do that is have, you know, half a dozen first round talents on your team and also play a favorable schedule. I would say, I think that also helps with the statistic portion of that, at least, uh, Georgia, with the way the SEC schedules, you know, they only ever have two SEC West teams a year, and one of them is Auburn. The other handful right now rotate. So, you know, they only see Alabama once every, you know, seven years, basically. They only see Texas A&M once every seven years. They only see LSU once every seven years. And some of those off years, you're going to get, you know, Grant the West with Ole Miss and Mississippi State is tough, but you'll get your Vanderbilt, your um, – you'll get a team on a down year. Okay. Before we get Jake too riled up on Stetson Bennett, number five, this one I found actually pretty interesting because it appears the rest of us as Ohio state fans tried to suppress our Homer side and big bear, who is our PAC 12 resident and local Oregon fan had the Buckeyes at number four in his poll. Big Bear, what, what's the thought process behind that? I put them towards the top because inaugural college football playoff and everything that kind of played into the beginning of that playoff, uh, the Michigan game where JT Barrett gets hurt, you now have to throw in Cardell Jones with some experience during the regular season, not a lot, and then he does what he does, goes in, beats Alabama and then goes into the national championship game where, I mean, he didn't have to do as much with Zeke not being able to tackle or be tackled by the Oregon defense. But um, I kind of considered this Buckeye team a little bit. I don't want to use the word underdog because they were a contender all the way through the season. And then JT Barrett gets hurt and everybody kind of like took a step back and they thought, okay, well this Buckeye team, yeah, they're supposed to be really good. Now they're kind of trying to figure it out on the fly. And I, I think they proved everybody wrong. Took the title easily, honestly, easily. And for the rest of you guys, I mean, you guys are also Ohio State fans. Does it change your mind at all? Thinking back to that and knowing that they won it with a third string quarterback, does it make it more impressive? Or are you still just looking at the team talent and execution as a whole? My note next to it literally says because they won with a third string quarterback. Um, I mean, I put him sixth. I mean, like I would just went off about quarterbacks. Cardell Jones was good. JT Barrett was fine overall. Over the, I mean, he, that year was his best year, far none, um, with the exception of the Penn State game where he went God mode for a quarter. Cardale Jones went on an unreal run in a three-game stretch that we'll never see anything like it again. Uh, the game that – I know the Alabama game sticks out for everybody, but beating Wisconsin 59-0 when they had Melvin Gordon, who was arguably the best running back in college football at that point, holding him to pretty much nothing in that game where it wasn't just an offensive showdown. I mean, you shut out a top-15 team in the Big Ten title game. That is something I'm not sure if you will see ever again of just that much pure dominance in one single game in a game of that scale. 
Yeah, I had Ohio State eighth um, in my ranking. And, you know, the thing the thing is, you know, when you're going through national champions, and you're trying to rank them, you're ranking champions. And so you have to start to nitpick these teams a little bit, especially when you get outside the top um, two or three. And I feel like Ohio State just wasn't consistent enough or dominant enough throughout the season um, to be ranked any higher than I had them. I mean, they had obviously the bad loss to Virginia Tech. Um, they have an overtime game with Penn State. Um, even down the back part of the schedule, I mean, they struggled at Minnesota in that snow game. They had a one-point game in the third quarter with Indiana. You know, they're in a dogfight with Michigan for, you know, two and a half, three quarters of that game. Um, and so then and then going into the playoff, obviously very impressive with a third-string quarterback. Uh, but you, you look at the teams they played in the playoff, that was probably Alabama's worst team they've had in the past decade. Um, and then you get to the national title game, and you face an Oregon team who – up front was just not able to play at Ohio state's level. I mean, Zeke just ran right through them. Oregon did not have the defensive front to be able to handle that. Um, and so credit to Ohio state there. But um, like I said, as you, as you start nitpicking these things, the, the, those kind of things, Ohio state just was not dominant. They had the bad loss. And then I thought their two teams they played in the playoff um, weren't as impressive as some of the other uh, wins that the teams in front of them had. So that was kind of my reasoning for having them a little bit farther down. I think one thing to note and probably a reason I also had them at eight. The talent was there overall, but very young talent. I mean, the next draft, we had five draft picks and zero in the first round. Devin Smith, probably the best one coming out of that. You know, Hireman tore his ACL and training camp for him or for the Broncos. So, and you had your care to Samuel, you had your Zeke, you had your Joey Bosa. And I mean, all the, all the, I mean, big names were there. It's just they were young. I think putting using the head-to-head argument here. I don't know how many how many of these other teams that uh, Cardell Jones can actually beat. It was one of those like it was one of those us against the world, Ohio Ohio versus everybody seasons and situations when JT Barrett goes down and Cardell's pushed or gets gets the call up for the Big Ten championship game. And um, Zeke was one of few 2,000-yard rushers on this list um, in all these teams. So um, it's, it's, it's that head-to-head reasoning why I had them so low. But the talent was there, and uh, it's pretty warranted if you have them up higher in my mind. I think most Ohio State fans would also agree that the next year, the overall talent of the team was better. Like if they were to play each other, if 14 was to play 15, that 15 will win. Just, I mean, on the sheer fact of experience alone, I mean, you had guys like Zeke Elliott and Michael Thomas that were just better at that point. Uh, You know, I know Joey Bosa the next year didn't really have as good of a season because, you know, teams were just double and triple teaming him. He obviously was still good enough and the teams didn't care to draft him, you know, in the top five. Uh, But the overall talent of the team was just better the next season, even if their coaches did suck the next season. Also, not a not a thousand yard receiver on the 2014 Buckeyes. Closest was what I have here, Devin Smith. Very different from the Buckeyes that you see now. Yeah, yeah. Back to the point of will we ever see a defensive heavy national championship? No. Because Buckeyes are going to run it for the next three years with the the best wide receiver room in the country. (laughs) I I do want to bring this up because obviously, like Tyler mentioned, this is the first ever college football playoff champion. And I realize there have been others with imperfect records. But when you were ranking these teams, did that factor into it that they dropped that early game to Virginia Tech? Was that something that contributed to knocking them down? Yeah, I would say for me, it did. Now, when I was going through and ranking the teams, I, I did. It was part of the equation was, you know, was the team undefeated throughout the entire season or did they have a loss? I mean, if you look at the top three teams in my list, they were they were all undefeated. Um, but I did. I did have another undefeated team way farther down on my list too. So it's not the entire equation, but yeah. And especially in the way they lost, like, I mean, they lost about 14 points at home to a team that finished what six and six or seven and five. So, I mean, they probably have close to the worst loss of any of these teams. I'm guessing I just 
off the top of my head, I can't imagine anybody has one worse than that. Um, so I feel like that definitely dings them a little bit, even if it was early in the season and, you know, Braxton Miller got hurt in training camp. And so you're really just breaking JT Barrett in at that point, but that's, that's still a pretty bad loss. So. I definitely agree. Bad loss. Uh, even though, what are you going to, I mean, what are you going to do with JT Barrett playing his second game basically? Um, and I, it, it did weigh, it weighed on me as well when I was ranking. All right. Moving down the list. Number six, 2017 Alabama. Steve and Sam, I'm going to toss it back to you guys because you had this tied team ranked 10th and 11th, respectively. Uh, looks like everybody else pretty much had them top five. So what was it about this Alabama team that didn't quite impress you as Saban's other title winners? Yeah, I'll go ahead and, and start it off. I mean, this, this is a very confusing team to try uh, and evaluate because they played – 98% of their season with one quarterback and Jalen Hurts. And then at the halftime of the national championship last game of the season, they go to Tua um, and run and essentially an entirely different offense than they've ran the entire season. Um, and so I, I, I kind of evaluated them on what they were for the majority of the season. And that was Jalen Hurts at quarterback. Um, and when I look at this team, this is a team that had a lot of talent, particularly um, in the wide receiver room. And if you look at the people they had on that team, I mean, Calvin Ridley led the team in receptions with 63, but outside of that, no other receiver had four, more than 14 catches, um, even though they had Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, and Devonta Smith on the team, and I know they were young. Um, but just like offensively, I feel like until they went to Tua, they were not very dynamic. Um, they relied heavily on Hertz uh, running the ball, and um, so I don't know. I just felt like they weren't quite as dominant. Um, I didn't like their roster quite as much as some of the other Alabama teams. Um, and so like I said, I feel like the potential was there on that team and they didn't really show it, I guess, um, throughout the season. And they, they did have a, you know, a double digit loss to their rival to end the season in the regular season. So they didn't win their division, didn't win the conference. So that kind of also played into me knocking them down a little bit. Yeah, I think this was one of those playoffs where um, Alabama got a seed and everyone was kind of wondering, OK, well, what was the resume to get in? You know, they lose that season finale to Auburn. They don't even play in the SEC title game, but yet they were still worthy of a playoff spot. And I think the biggest question about that Alabama team that year was they, like Steve said, they had all this talent, but the offense just wasn't explosive enough. They weren't dominating games in a way that you would expect with that kind of talent. And uh, the reason I had this at five was this was like Tua Tagovailoa's coming out party. You know, comes in the second half of the national championship game, essentially being cold all season long. And I, I ranked a lot of my teams based on feel-good stories, and I loved this one just because of that opening drive of overtime. I mean, you're expecting these two teams are going head-to-head -head all game. You're going to get a little something out of overtime. No, they drive them back, and then the bomb just dropped right on Georgia's defense, and they walk away with the title. I thought that was pretty spectacular for, again, a backup quarterback to once again come in and, and steal the show. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm, I hope this doesn't mess up your spreadsheet, Cole, but my note was to switch my bottom two. So I actually had this as my 12th team, uh, not the 11. But my, I think my big thing was the Jalen Hurts just had a, like, just a bad year. It seemed like a bad year. And when you're comparing it to these Alabama teams, nothing was nothing was as strong as previous or future uh, teams. Jalen Hurts, just over 2,000 yards, 17 touchdowns, eight rushing touchdowns. Damian Harris, just scraping over 1,000 yards rushing. Calvin Ridley, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, not any – or only one near 1,000 was Calvin Ridley. Uh, Devontae Smith only played eight games. It, it just was, it was, it's a lackluster. It's a great, it's a great look on when you're looking at the names of the people on this team and now in the NFL, great look, but it was very lackluster uh, results in terms of stats. Uh, they had 12, they had 12 draft picks four in the first round. 
Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick being probably one of the betters, better ones, um, along with Calvin Ridley. But it just it, it didn't nothing sat right with me um, when looking back on the on this season here. And I think it's worth noting that Georgia dominated that national championship game. I mean, they took a 13, nothing lead into halftime and then they were up 20 to seven, you know, more than two thirds of the way through the third quarter and more or less let it slipped away. Um, Like Tyler said, it's impressive to see Tua come in and win that game. Uh, And obviously it's the right choice by Saban because if he doesn't pull Jalen hurts, I think we might be talking about two Georgia teams rather than five Alabama teams. Okay. Now we get to our last BCS national champion in the 2013 Florida State Seminoles. Everyone had this kind of all over the place. Big Bear, you had them ninth. Jake, you had them 10th. I had them 7th. Steve, you had him fifth, and Sam, you also had him fifth. So I just kind of want to open it up to discussion because I think a lot of people, they're not really sure how to feel about this one because I think we're so ingrained into the playoff and the playoff format, and you really get to see how good teams are because you have to beat two high-quality opponents in a row to win a national championship now, whereas – this was the last of the computers basically picking what we had hoped would be a favorable or enjoyable matchup. If it wasn't one of your teams for the national championship. I'll, uh, I'll start in with some, with some, with some numbers here and what really stuck out to me. Um, I think the yards differential was a super big element in me ranking them so high averaging 519 per game and then allowing 281. Uh, they allowed a touchdown and a half per game. Uh, so like just using those number, those two numbers, good, good defense, you know, um, Telvin Smith, 90 tackles, three interceptions, nine and a half tackles for loss, which is pretty, pretty, pretty good numbers when, when talking about um, full season, 3000 yard, uh, Players, Calvin Benjamin, Rashad Green, Devontae Freeman. Um, Freeman and Benjamin had 15 touchdowns. And then Jameis Winston, over 4,000 yards, 40 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Just absolutely insane um, offense and a pretty smothering defense uh, for their opponents. The one thing that sticks out to me about this and the reason why I ranked them so low, their strength of schedule was ranked 59th. That also included games with Bethune-Cookman and Idaho right before they dropped down to one double A. Yes, Idaho was like decent, like right before they dropped down. Like decent, that was an okay group of five school. Um, They played Florida when Florida was down. If you look at when they played teams that were ranked, this is when Duke was decent. Duke was a top 25 team and playing in the ACC title game, for goodness sakes. Maryland was ranked 25th. Their regular season had pretty much two legitimate wins. Clemson, who won 11 games um, before they started to go on their run, and Miami, who won nine games uh, you know, other than that, yeah, they were scoring a ton of points because they're playing Syracuse and Boston College and Nevada and Pitt. They just weren't playing that good of teams. Like, their win over Auburn was great. I mean, they won the national title over Auburn. But if you look at their schedule, like, it's just not appealing. You know, if you had given this to other schools that were ranked in the top ten, I have a feeling that a lot of them would win 11 or 12 games on this schedule alone.
Yeah, I'll, I'll stay with this Florida State team. Obviously, like Jake said, the strength of schedule uh, was not very good. Um, probably, I think, by far the lowest of anybody on our list. Um, but, you know, the thing is, when you're going through these teams, they, they did go undefeated, and they basically kicked the crap out of everybody they played. I mean, their point differential was almost 40 points difference. They averaged 52 a game, gave up only about 12 a game. Um, and it's not like they didn't have the, the talent to back it up either. I think we already hit on some of the guys on offense a little bit. Um, but on defense, I mean, they had guys like Timmy Jernigan and Christian Jones, Lamarcus Joyner, Jalen Ramsey. This, this was a talented team with guys who who played in the league. So I think even if they had played a a tougher schedule, this is still a team that would have had a pretty good chance to to win the national championship. Um, I don't I don't have them as high as some of the other undefeated teams simply because, like I said, the schedule was pretty easy and um, it was the BCS era, so they only had to win one game as opposed to two. I mean, they did beat an Auburn team that was on quite a quite a roll. Um, it was sort of a, a lucky roll, but you know, had they Auburn was on a roll, they had a lot of momentum, um, and they went in and Florida State won that game. Um, and so it's impressive to go 14 and 0 and have the, the NFL talent they had on that team. And, and Jameis Winston was really a, a force in college. And so we talk about having an elite level quarterback. I mean, he kind of started um, that run of teams having really good quarterback play to, to win championships. So yeah, I, I think they're worthy. I think the five spot is where I had them. And I think that's kind of right where they are, not quite with the elite level teams, but maybe uh, not near the bottom of some of the other teams. Well, and Steve, I think you make a good point with, you know, the point differential and how they really dominated throughout the season outside of a, I believe it was like a 10 or 12 point win over Boston college earlier in the year. But, you know, normally when you see teams like that, when they get smacked in the mouth on that stage, they don't know how to respond because they're not battle tested. They're not in that scenario. So for Florida state to go back and forth with Auburn like that and still find the, the plays and the grit to pull it out there at the end um, against what truly felt like a team of destiny with Auburn, uh, I think speaks volumes towards how, how good of a team and a program they were in that year. Yeah. And I think that, you know, if you look at the regular season too, I mean, they did go to Clemson and win 51 to 14. And that's a Clemson team that went on to win the orange bowl over a very good Ohio state team. That was a Clemson team that had, you know, Taj Boyd and Sammy Watkins and Martavius Bryant. Um, and then they manhandled them in Clemson. Um, and so, you know, they weren't tested often throughout the season, but when they did, they clearly stepped up to the challenge and showed, you know, what, what they were capable of. All right. Moving to number eight. Dabo's first national championship, the 2016 Clemson Tigers. They got beat by Alabama in 2015. We got a rematch in 2016. Guys, how does this compare to the 2018 team? I think everybody here had that 18 team ranked higher than the 16 team. So I want to know what, what is it about this 16 team that kind of brought them back to, to the lower part of the pack here? I can kick it off. Um, 2016 and 2016 versus 2018 to me was, I would say, a core amount of some similar names. As uh, as Stephen mentioned earlier on, the defensive line of Dexter Lawrence, Farrell, Wilkins, freshman, sophomore, sophomore, respectively, um, held their own 62 tackles. Uh, 40 plus for the other guy, uh, for Farrell and Wilkins. And then um, Hunter Renfro also had a okay year in 2018. He had a, he had a breakout year. I should say breakout meaning in touchdowns, 500 yards, six touchdowns for the 2016 team. But to me, Sean Watson Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, obviously Watson was the better quarterback at that time. It just was that young core for me that put this 2016 below um, below the 2018 Tigers. Yeah, and I'll, I'll jump in there. I mean, I think the 2016 team, for starters, I guess, you know, they, they did have a loss. I mean, it was, it was a close loss to Pitt, but they did have a loss. But if you look at the, the two schedules – I mean, they played in a lot closer games than the 2018 team did. I mean, they had an overtime game at NC State, three-point win over Florida State, six-point win over Louisville, which was a good Louisville team. They had a six-point win over Troy, six-point win over Auburn. I mean, they were they were tested throughout the season. Um, the defense gave up over 18 points a game um, in 2018. That was down to 13, and the offense was scoring uh, more points um, 
in 18 as well. And I think the 18 team, you know, Sam mentioned, you know, overall, yeah, Deshaun Watson, I guess we'd look back and think he was a better quarterback, uh, but he actually did struggle for a good portion of that season, at least in terms of what we thought he was going to be. I mean, he threw 17 picks that year. Um, and his passer rating was only 151, um, which is not actually on par with some of these other quarterbacks that we've seen. And as far as their skill position guys, I mean, they had okay guys, but the running back was Wayne Gallman, who was not, in my opinion, not nearly as talented as even a freshman Travis Etienne in 2018. Um, and the receivers, I didn't think were quite as, as explosive either. Um, and so obviously a very solid team beat Alabama in the national championship. But if you're comparing the two based on schedule roster and results, I think the 2018 team really blows them away. I was just going to bring up ATN. Like ATN was so much better. Um, the rushing game was so much better in 2018. ATN had 26 touchdowns. 24 of those were rushing is insane year for him as a freshman. Yeah, Steve, I think one thing you mentioned was the personnel and, the personnel just really didn't meet the personnel of the future uh, 2018 team. I mean, if you look, Wayne Gallman was their starting running back, and he was just very okay. Uh, I mean, I went back and looked at his game log, and in the game they lost to Pitt, he had 18 carries for 36 yards. Granted, he had three touchdowns, but you're averaging two yards a carry. So you have to assume that all those touchdowns game one goal line carries that they could have put just about anybody back there and they would have scored touchdowns. Um, obviously, like he was a good running back, but a lot of the time he was just averaging subpar throughout the year. And uh, Sam, I think you bring up a good point too of this was really just the beginning of Clemson kind of hitting their stride there for the last couple of years. Steve mentioned it earlier with that, that orange bowl victory. And I think that's really when they kind of announced themselves on, on the big stage and showing that they could compete with the, the, the blue bloods of the sport. Um, and so I was in the same, the, the same mindset as everybody else where I had them ranked lower. Uh, it's obviously impressive what they were able to do. And, and obviously, bounce back from that loss to Pitt and obviously beat Alabama quite literally the last second in the national championship game uh, with that rub route to, to Hunter Renfro. But I think in terms of overall talent and just how developed they were, I think that 18 team for Clemson was just in a different category uh, comparatively. Now we get to a streak of three different Alabama teams starting with 2015 at number nine. This again is a number one, another one we kind of had all over the place between all of us. Big bear had them sixth. Jake, you had them dead last. Steve, you had them 11th. I had them ninth. Uh, Sam, you all, you had them up there. You had them at six. So I think I really want to toss it to, to Jake and Steve. What, what is it about this? compared to his other championships, why is this one dead last or second to last for you? This one for me was the end of the Nick Saban defensive era and the start of like, it was like the very end of where it was a lot of focus on defense. When you look at back at who they had, you know, they had you know, Eddie Jackson and Reuben Foster, uh, Mega Fitzpatrick, Marlon Humphrey, Ashawn Robinson, guys that were just really good in college on the defensive side of the ball. And Jacob Coker was their starting quarterback. Coker threw for 3,000 yards, but only threw 21 touchdowns and eight interceptions. The offense was completely run through Derrick Henry who was the Heisman Trophy winner. I mean, and you see what he's still doing today. He had over 2,000 yards. But this team being led by J.M. Coker really sets them back, in my opinion. Um, and when you look at their schedule from that year, I mean, they did have a loss. Um, they lost to Ole Miss really early in the year. They bounced back. But they weren't, like, blowing teams away. You know, Tennessee, they only beat by five points. You know, a lot of the games were double digits. You know, Auburn by double digits, Florida by double digits. Um, obviously they beat Michigan state by a billion, but a lot of their games in the SEC were you know, fairly close overall. Um, they were winning, but it wasn't like impressive fashion of what they would go on to do with some of the other teams. I would be in agreement with pretty much everything uh, Jake said there. I, I think, you know, the quarterback play with Coker 
uh, really, really held them back. I mean, this was an offense that was so reliant on Henry. I mean, I think he had almost 400 carries that year. It was, it was absurd. I mean, I think they, they had Calvin Ridley um, on the outside who had a pretty good season, but um, you know, only seven touchdowns, wasn't super explosive, only averaged about 12 yards a catch. Um, and so they actually had the lowest uh, points per game of the last 12 national champions. And they had the second lowest uh, scoring differential um, between the last 12 national champions. So, you know, I just think if they had to match up against some of these other teams um, in a hypothetical game that have, uh, you know, better quarterbacks, more explosive offenses, I just don't think this particular team would fare that well. I mean, if their whole plan is to line up and just run Derrick Henry, um, you know, I, I think defense is a kind of adjusted to that type of scheme. Um, and I don't know if if they would have the same success if they had to go up against, you know, a, a 2019 LSU or a 2020 Alabama 2018 Clemson, I, I think this team would lose those games pretty handily. Um, so I, I do have them kind of a, a couple of a, a good portion of these teams. I think Jacob Coker was the worst quarterback to win a national title that'll be on this list. And I don't think it's really that much of a discussion because he is the only one who really didn't even get a chance at an NFL career. He wasn't drafted. I don't even think he made a roster for that season. I'm not even sure how much he even spent on a practice squad or uh, training camp. He is – NFL scouts didn't want him. I mean, he transferred out of Florida State to Alabama, and he was your absolute definition of a game manager. Even when you go and look at the national championship game, yes, he threw for 350, 335 yards. We only completed 16 passes. I know that's a great average, but that's, that's, not, that's not what you want to be seeing. You're not relying on your quarterback that much. Uh, O.J. Howard had five catches for 208 yards. There's where your average comes in. So Coker just was never going to be a guy that would help get them over the hump uh, if they were going to come into more of these matchups. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of defend why I had them up so high. And, you know, looking at the numbers, yeah, you're right. Coker didn't go to NFL, didn't do anything like that, but – Produced more than Jalen Hurts, arguably. More yardage, more passing Argument yards. denied. Over 3,000 yards, 21 touchdowns, where Jalen Hurts, just over 2,000 yards, 17 passing touchdowns. Jalen Hurts is in the NFL. Ah, that's fine, you know, and he's, and he's actually absolute dog water in the NFL. I wouldn't want him. Wow, uh, that's not true. Browns fans, I'd take anything right now. Um, <laughs> but... You know, Coker produced more produced more yards, more touchdowns than Hurts. Uh, Derrick Henry absolutely just blew out blew out like the top two rushers in 2017, uh, 2017 Bama. Adding in Kenyon Drake, six eighty four. Um, twenty seventeen running back squad does not come close. Calvin Ridley had overall a better year, over 1,000 yards, seven touchdowns. O.J. Howard, 600 yards, two touchdowns. And, I mean, not even getting into the uh, – you had multiple tackle for loss on the defensive uh, – tackle for, for loss, defensive players, um, uh, a couple – or Reggie Raglan with 102 tackles. It just – it just seemed – it just seemed like a more – statistically sound and productive team in 2015 than it was in 2017. And Do you know OJ Howard's both of his touchdowns came in the championship against Clemson. So shows the up. rest of the season <laughs> he had four, the rest of the season he had 400 yards is what I'm saying. <laughs> he had one third of his entire total in one game. Yeah. But then he goes on to the NFL and has a decent career. Uh, he has a career. <laughs> he has a career. Um I, I think I just there was something about there was something about these numbers that were just too too impossible to ignore of the production that Lane Kiffin was able to get out of his offense, like the offensive line in the running back game. And you know, even though Coker had Calvin Ridley catching a thousand forty-seven yards, it's it was just a better it was just a better all-around um, balance. I felt, but I think you just saw the last of the game manager quarterback style uh, with this Alabama team, like Jake had mentioned, uh, because from there on out, the their other national championship teams had quarterbacks that were dynamic playmakers. And 
could go win games for you rather than simply get the ball into the hands of guys that could do damage on their own. But something else I found extremely intriguing with this Alabama squad is when you go down their coaching staff, it is littered with current head coaches at division one programs. Uh, you have Lane Kiffin, who's obviously at Ole Miss, uh, Kirby Smart at Georgia, Mario Cristobal at Miami, uh, Billy Napier, Mel Tucker. I mean, it was absolutely loaded. It might be one of the best coaching staffs ever assembled, at least on paper. And if we're ranking the best national championships, coaches have a big part in that, you know? You're telling me those, you're telling me those coaches couldn't come up with a game plan to, be, to beat over half this list. Maybe, but we'll see because I'm sure half those coaches will be fired again in a couple of years. <laughs> Remember, Jeremy Pruitt was a great hire at Tennessee at one point. <laughs> and he came from Alabama. Well, we, we know Big Bear certainly loves himself some Mario Cristobal now. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number 10, 2012 Alabama. Sinking even further to that defensive first, run the ball, grind out games. We all kind of had this one down towards the bottom. Steve, you had him at six. Why is this one one of the more impressive Alabama teams? Yeah, I mean, you look at the statistics there. I mean, the defense only gave up around 10, 11 points a game. I thought they really, you know, kind of dominated throughout the season. They had the loss. Um, famous loss to Texas A&M and the, uh, the Johnny Manziel game. Um, you know, that was, that was an incredible performance by Manziel. Um, but outside of that, I really like what this Alabama team did. I mean, they took the 2011 team, which won a national championship um, and, and continued to build on that. Um, I know McCarron, AJ McCarron gets labeled as a, a game manager quite a bit in terms of what he did, but he actually had a pretty good um, last season at Alabama in this 2012 season, which is why I had it above the 2011 season. So I thought McCarron really took a step forward from 11 to 12. Um, and so he had 30 touchdowns, only three interceptions, um, threw for almost 3,000 yards, 175, uh, you know, passer rating. Um, pretty good backs in this team, Eddie Lacy, uh, TJ Yeldon. Um, and then I believe also from 11 to 12, they added Amari Cooper, um, which kind of added a, a different dynamic um, to this offense that they didn't have in 2011. Um, and so, you know, this, this team, they, they put up um, almost 39 points a game, um, which is, is, you know, for that time was, was pretty good. Not quite at the, you know, the 40, 44 level that we see nowadays. Um, but for 2012, that was really solid. And like I said, only giving up 11 um, and they had the one fluke loss to Johnny football. Um, and so I think I had them at, at sixth on my list, um, you know, real dominant defense. And I think the improved play of McCarron, um, you know, was, was more than a game manager. I think he's a step above 11 McCarron and, and a big step above uh, Coker in 15. And so I think that kind of was what projected them so high on my list. Uh, I had them at 10. So right around the average um, I will say this, AJ McCarron did not throw as many yards as Coker in 2015. So circle back to that. Um, so big, you want Coker to be an NFL quarterback? Okay. I'm, say, we'll, we'll, I'm saying, we'll fight later. I'm saying numbers are in front. Um, yeah, numbers aren't important, obviously. Apparently, but, uh, kind of using Steve's point, um, why I had them, I think I, ha- I had them above the 2011 team. Um, Eddie Lacy, miles beyond from 11 to 12, almost doubling his yardage and uh, over doubling his touchdowns. Yeldon, another thousand yards uh, gain. Mari Cooper, a thousand yards receiving. And I think even on the defensive end, um, you had Ha Clinton Dix. Five interceptions, 37 uh, tackles. You had Adrian Hubbard with um, 41 tackles, seven sacks. I mean, you, you had you had some big names on that defense too, not just uh, on the on the offense um, side of the ball. So I had them at nine, so just a little above. And one of the reasons I had them on the lower half was mainly just because if you looked up and down their schedule, this is kind of a down portion in the SEC, honestly. If when they played teams that that's so whenever they played like they opened the season in Michigan, who obviously was eighth at the time and did not finish the season ranked eighth. 
they finished the season with six ranked matchups. Um, only four of those would be ranked at the end of the season. And one of them was the loss to Texas A&M. The other would be LSU. Georgia, which was obviously a very good win in the SEC championship game uh, where they won on a nail-biter. I believe it was Aaron Murray who they beat. And then Notre Dame, who I believe by most people thought was overrated. Uh, and they were there because they were undefeated and not necessarily because they were truly the number one team. Uh, to me, it was more of an inflated schedule, uh, which – made Alabama look as great as they were. I think if they were to compete against some of these other Alabama teams, that they would definitely get beat. Okay. This, that 2012 team was obviously uh, the latter part of a back-to-back national championship run that Saban had to start the 2010s. So coming in at number 11 is the 2011 Alabama team. Um Again, a lot of us had this towards the bottom. Jake, you had this one at number five. This is, you put it right up there next to that 2017 Alabama team. I mean, what what about it was different than 12? Why is it so much higher? Only one team scored more than 14 points against this Alabama team, and it was Georgia Southern. Other than that, only... Uh, what was it? Four teams even reached double digits. Auburn, Florida, Arkansas, and Penn State. Nobody else even had double digit points. For that reason alone, I had them up there because that defense was just suffocating. Um, I know, like I just talked about, it was kind of a down period in the SEC. You know, there weren't a ton of ranked matchups, but I mean, they only allowed 8.2 points per game. That's absurd. That's nothing that we'll see anytime soon again uh, from most teams just because of the way scoring is. And I think that was the start of the transition from defensive to offensive in the grand scheme of college football. But this defense was absolutely suffocating. And if Alabama got the double-digit points, you almost knew it was over. I mean, Trent Richardson was the Heisman Trophy winner, scored 21 touchdowns. Alabama opened big enough holes where he didn't even need to try to find them. He could just run straight and was getting, you know, six yards of carry. I got, I got words for Trent Richardson as a uh, Browns fan. Um, We're listening. Yeah. uh, I I hope he is too. Um, (laughs) Just absolute bust. And I think I, I really do think my just heartbreak of, how he played for the Browns really sank into my ranking this team. Um, I mean, it just, he was so promising coming out with uh, off a 2000 yard season, um, 24 touchdowns. The more I just read this, the more I just, it just so angry about it. Um, well, if you want to talk about the coaching staff for this one, <laughs> Kirby Smart was the defensive coordinator, and the offensive coordinator was Mr. Humpa Shark Jim McElwain. <laughs> um, one reason why I had 20, 2011 so low, uh, their leading receiver was Marquise Mays with 600 yards and a touchdown. Um, seemed very, very unproductive uh, in ter- uh, offensive-wise, but again, with the defense, you didn't need it. You didn't need it. Joe Judge and Billy Napier were also analysts on this team. They weren't even coaches. They were analysts. And then there were a bunch of other random dudes on here. But Jim McElwain, Mr. Humpa Shark, was on there. (laughs) Before we get to our last team here, Jake, do you put this 2011 Alabama defense above the 2021 Georgia defense we just watched? Um, That's a good question. And – it's tough because I think the teams were very different. Uh, Alabama needed their defense to perform like this because they weren't a high explosive team. I mean, they had Trent Richardson, but they weren't necessarily going to go out there and score 40 or 50 points in a game when Georgia had the ability to. Uh, 
I think I would probably take the Georgia defense. Uh, but I mean, that's we're splitting hairs. They're both incredible defenses. Okay. We are down to number 12. He's been quiet this entire time, but I am going to let Big Bear absolutely rip on the 2010 Auburn Tigers. Big Bear, take it away. Oh, why are they number 12? Well, probably because I don't really feel like they earned the national championship, right? All right. I put the blurb next to this. I put Dyer was down because guess what? Michael Dyer was down. No, he wasn't. Yes, he was. Your Big Ten refs even came out weeks later and said he was. So, shush. Anyways, look, let's go back on that Auburn team. Dual threat, Cam Newton, probably height of his college career, was averaging over 200 yards passing, which, again, like over 14 games, but over 100 yards rushing, was held in check by, yes, an Oregon defense. Everyone who we say big teams can run all over, well, Cam Newton barely got over 50 yards rushing in the game. I felt like no team could buy points in this game. Michael Dyer got over 50 yards. Quiet you. <laughs> the only, oh, God, you're frustrating me. Now, the only difference in this game was a field goal. It was because of the Michael Dyer incident. Um, at that point, if you look at the game summary, before that field goal to clinch the game in the final seconds, Auburn's last four drives were punt, 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 and a fumble forced by Casey Matthews. Uh, the linebacker on Oregon's defense and Oregon finally broke the end zone. First team to get in the end zone of that second half, I believe tie the game up with two minutes left. So could the game have gone to overtime? Had Michael Dyer been down possibly? Um, I felt like Cam Newton could have definitely showed out more in the game. Only 34 pass attempts, uh, just over 250 yards passing where his counterpart, um, Darren Thomas was over 350 yards passing. Both teams were able to pass very effectively. Again, this Oregon team in the height of the Chip Kelly blur offense, they were mixing it pass run pretty decently. So that's why Auburn's really low to me. Uh, we can continue to argue it, but they barely won and they met their match. So I don't think they were convincing. They weren't a dominant defense. They weren't a dominant offense especially not in the uh, national championship game. So Auburn is number 12. I mean, when you, when you look through their schedule, Big Bear, I think you're right. I mean, you're looking at a lot of really close, really ugly wins throughout this schedule. 17 to 14 over an unranked Mississippi state team, Uh, 27 to 24 in overtime over an unranked Clemson squad, Uh, 37 to 34 over an unranked Kentucky team. But that, was kind of how this Auburn team was. And I think a lot of what they accomplished was buoyed by Cam Newton and what he was able to accomplish that year. I think a lot of us would tend to agree that if you took Cam Newton off that team, this is a seven and five kind of deal for them. So, I mean, obviously I think it speaks to how great of a talent Newton is and was, but Definitely as an overall team, I think one of the more less impressive squads that we've discussed here tonight. I think in the last decade, there's, Oh, go ahead. I was like, to me, Cam Newton is one of the 10 best players of the last two decades. And I don't think there's really any argument for that. He was a phenomenal talent on a subpar team. And basically because he was in my eyes, one of the best players that ever witnessed play. Uh, I had them hired because him alone was winning football games. And I just enjoyed Cam Newton. I really don't care. I had him higher than that. What I have, I had just to piss off Tyler. I had him three. Hey, that's fine. I can't deny Cam Newton's a great talent. I mean, damn. My comment was, I don't give a shit. Cam Newton. You could probably argue that Gene Chizik was not a very good game manager. Also, like what gives like you that he, the fact that he was fired the year after? Well, yeah, exactly. But also because he rode Cam Newton's talent all year long. Well, at least Michael Dyer was in town. No, it's <laughs> about to, speechless. It's about to get ugly here, folks. All right. That wraps it up for us. We have ranked the past 12 national champions. 
I appreciate all you guys coming out and discussing this with us. What about uh, the 2017 UCF Gold Knights? What about them? What about their national championship, huh? When we talk BC, uh, Boise State and TCU, huh? you can talk BC. Oh, my God. What, okay. what about McKenzie Milton? Let's save this for another episode. He's retired. Talk for another Don't forget about McKenzie Milton, everyone. <laughs> Don't forget, he's still out there. No, he's retired. Probably listening to this. Again, I want to thank everybody for coming out and helping us tonight. All of you listening at home and in your cars and on your phones, ponder those questions that they have provided you. I'm sure we will get around to putting an episode together for it. Thank you for listening. But until then, this has been another episode of First and Gold.